0: Hey guys, it's Beth Fisher. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Remorseless Podcast, where today we are going to be talking about all things big picture mindset, meaning, okay, no closed-minded, narrow focus is allowed. So sorry to say, I might stretch you a little bit with the content in here. Uh, Cindy and I, Cindy DeBoer, my guest today, she and I talk a lot about what... um, Growing up in the 80s as two females who our messages in church, the messages we heard, were thou shall not have premarital sex, and if thou shall decide to do that anyway, thou is going straight to hell. So here's the thing, that had profound implications on Cindy's life and led her to keep some big secrets that we're gonna talk about. She will unpack and uncover for us on this show. But again, I just really encourage you to continue to be open-minded that is how we grow. That is how we transform. And that is how we become more accepting of ourselves and others on this crazy journey called life. So thank you again for continuing to turn in to the remorseless podcast and under the heading of reminders, keep being that you guys keep showing up on your journeys without guilt in spite of wrongdoing. Okay, buckle up. Episode 11 on the way. Joining us again on today's episode of Remorselessly Biblical. And as always, a huge shout out to Life Network for Women for having us and continuing alongside of us as we bring on women on this show that I've met over the course of my journey to talk all things about Jesus and the path in which we got to Him, right? Because it's all different. And that to me has been the most revealing thing over the course of my own life is to hear stories from other people that say, oh, yeah, I'm definitely a Christian, I'm definitely a believer. But that's not how I came up through my traditions or my experiences to get to him. So that's what we're here to share a little bit more about today. We're joined by uh, my very good friend. Her name is Cindy DeBoer. And Cindy is a blogger and a psychiatric nurse. And this is my favorite part, you guys, a recovering (laughs) unmissionary. We're going to get into that, obviously, as the show goes on. So Cindy has a very popular and timely blog called Far, Far Better Things. And in that, she reveals through very gritty and yet um, life giving experiential pieces of her journey um, how she and her family discovered that they could live out their faith in a much truer way than they had been. So, we're going to get into that. And, you know, Cindy's blog centers on how she and her family, like, literally gave up the proverbial American dream. This is what drew me to her. I thought, not a lot of people do this. They've done it, you guys. And um, they left lucrative careers. And they lived in nearly 100% Muslim Morocco. So Morocco is mostly Muslim. We'll get into that as well. But that's where they ended up living and among other places. But now she and I are both here in Grand Rapids. And um, Cindy and her family live in the inner city of Grand Rapids on the west side, which is super cool. And one of her most um, infamous blog posts garnered like over 145,000 hits because she really is just a wealth of knowledge and, again, shares this journey very vulnerably. So Cindy, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me, back.
0: Yeah. And so one of the things that my viewers know, my listeners know, is that I often start out by sharing the story of how I met the person who's on the show, because I love that. I love when life brings people together. And I love it for a twofold reason. One is because I often kind of jokingly kid and say, oh, it's like Kevin Bacon, six degrees of separation, which in West Michigan is more like two degrees of separation. But really, that's God's providence. It's God brings people in and out of our lives at exactly the right time. But, um, you know, I I also love it because um, in this instance, you and I were introduced because of my baby girl, who's not quite a baby. She's almost 24. (laughs) So you guys, Cindy and I met, um, she came to my book signing last March and I hadn't previously known her and Olivia, my daughter came home from work one day, she and Cindy work at the same psychiatric hospital. And Olivia said, mom, I have this really cool woman. Like she reminds me of you. You guys kind of talk alike. You, you think alike. She goes, I think you're both like kind of old. I'm like, thanks honey. Like zip that part. (laughs) You know, I think she meant it in a loving way, but she's basically saying like she was accrediting you like oh, you're of age. um,
1: Well, I plan to you because I am way older than you,
0: (laughs) but we're both '80s girls. We're going to get into that too. That's my favorite part. So, so Olivia just introduced me to Cindy, and you came to the book signing, and we talked briefly there. But our journeys have been similar in terms of our heart for God and the way that, as we grew up, we got a little bit off of the proverbial path. We made some choices. We thought we heard certain things that we were supposed to abide by given our religious constructs and the rest is history, as they say. So Cindy, can you take us through your journey? I know it's a very big opening question, but I really just want our listeners and viewers to understand your background.
1: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the older I get, the longer the story gets because it's a lot of years to cover, but in in essence, just being raised in a very Christian home, um, where our expectations were very clear. There were certain behaviors that we had to adhere to, and there was just no diverting from that. And so, um, and I loved it. I mean, it, it wasn't a harsh home. It was a loving home. Um, and I didn't realize that those constructs were almost impossible to, to stay within. And so it wasn't until high school that I really started to struggle with how could, how can I be a God follower and behave so poorly? And what primarily what I struggled with was sexuality. I met my husband in high school. He's my husband now. Yes. Um, and, and, and we were sexually active. And that was the thing that I probably condemned myself for the most. Um And it, like, like you mentioned earlier, I was a child of the eighties and the eighties was all about purity. And I was big involved in our church and youth group. And I was, I was even outspoken. And so I would even talk to younger girls about the importance of being pure while I myself was not. Mm-hmm. I and I just lived like this false identity because my church, my family, my community, everybody made this one thing. I mean, there's several other things that fit right up near the top abortion, homosexuality. I mean, they made it very clear that there's some things that Christians just cannot do. And um premarital sex was was definitely one of them. And being guilty of that, I just lived with this condemnation, which um, it it, it came to a head when I was in college, and I had broken up with my husband. So we were no longer dating. He was off in another city, and I just kind of decided I didn't even need the church because those rules, just I could never live up to it. There was never a way I could I could fit into those constructs. So I need to be me. And I, I became very promiscuous, which only heaped more guilt and condemnation. I couldn't leave behind my 18 years of Christian instruction. It was still in there. And, and I would still say to this day, most of it's good. But the condemnation just hung with me.
0: Um, I've often
1: written yeah, I've often written that I could have shot somebody and killed someone and felt less guilt.
0: And and that is exactly the perfect segue because I'm listening to you and I kept thinking to myself, isn't it interesting that we came up in the 80s, we came up through our church constructs and everything was no premarital sex. Uh, in my case, it was no drinking. Um, you probably should- drinking. Oh yeah, I forgot that one. <laughs> but man, they hammered home the premarital, and you mentioned abortion. We had to watch an abortion video in CCD, yeah. which was Catholic Sunday School, And I just really wanted to learn about God, but instead we were learning about the rules, how to basically be out of relationship, out of sync with God. And it was interesting because all the teachings were exactly the things that we were doing. Let's just be honest. We've most, most most of us were doing. And so I think in retrospect, they think or thought at the time that that was like really good teaching because we're like, we know what these kids are doing. So we're going to take these examples and say if you do these things, you're going to hell, and you're terrible, and you're just like not worthless, basically. So it was interesting to me because they never said to us, "You shouldn't murder anybody." I mean, we weren't doing that; we weren't killing people. <laughs> right, um, right? We were doing the things that, and again, let's be honest: most teenage kids do. Right, They're true. not bad kids who are not right. bad humans who are forgiven children of God. And, exactly. But we're made to feel like we're worthless after that. And so I don't know about you, but when you got to the point where you and Paul broke up and you said you became promiscuous, was it out of like, did you have the thought of, well, what's the matter now? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's totally how I felt. Like there was this chasm between God and I can't bridge it. Can't get it back. It's gone. And I will never, I will never measure up. So what does it matter anymore? And yeah, it was a miserable time, and yet it, it was actually a very freeing time because I, I would tell myself like you don't you don't have to stick with those rules anymore,
0: right? Which is now that we understand scripture, that's Old Testament, New Testament, right? Which is yeah. think about so all the Israelites, all the people living in the Old Testament times, they couldn't measure up either. There was no right. way to get the checklist of rules right. I mean, like people right. failed, and it was. I used to tell Olivia when I would teach her to read scripture, she's like, I don't want to read the Bible. I'm like, well, there's sex in there. There's adultery in there. It's like it's so proper. So, I mean, if you want to, like, read some smut, try scripture. But, But again, like, think about how, well, you know, we both lived it. Um, how taxing it was every day to wake up and to toil and to go to work in their case outside, right. And to roam and to have all these tribes and so forth and really have a pretty physically hard existence. Our existence obviously looked much different, but yet we were toiling and we were struggling and we were getting up every day, trying to live into the good people that we know we are at our core, the good girls that we were. Against the hypocrisy that we felt internally, like you said, you were teaching younger girls, hey, be pure. And meanwhile, you and Paul are like out in the back of the Chevy.
1: Right, right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I, I carried that 12 years into our marriage. I never told Paul. So we got back together, got married. And I never told him how I had behaved in college. So he always assumed that we were each other's only partner and 12 years of marriage teaching our children about the importance of virginity and the importance of purity and and just pure of heart and all these things while every single day I was still saying God you have to forgive me of those former sins because I don't feel clean I, I am not forgiven every day and and I just couldn't let it go it just haunted me
0: did you ever ask Paul Cindy like in the time that you guys were broken up sort of what his track record may or may not have been or did you just assume too that you were his only partner
1: I I think I didn't dare ask him oh when we got back together because I didn't want my story to come out. I didn't want my truth to come out. And so it wasn't until we had been married 12 years, and I finally confessed everything to him, that I I dared to ask him at that point, tell me how you behaved.
0: And once that, yeah. And so once you had that really, I can't imagine how incredibly difficult that was, because you had to put a lot of trust and faith and I mean, I'm sure you were scared because, you know, the potential of, wow, he's going to hear this and maybe potentially leave me may have been there in the back of your mind, which is I'm sure why you avoided it. But like, once you had that conversation and it was transparent, there was no going back, the words were spoken. Did that change your marriage for the better?
1: A thousand percent. I, it, it, it took time. We had to, to work through that and the forgiveness didn't come like Actually, it did come immediately. He told me almost immediately, I forgive you. But but his, his skin was, you know, his color went gray. Yeah. And then he got up and he said, I need to go for a ride. I don't know what, when I'm coming back. And I don't, I just, I need time. Mm-hmm. And, and I really was terrified. Like, is he coming back? Like, you can forgive somebody, but can you forget? And can you, can we still be made? Is this going to be okay? So his, his gift of forgiveness transformed us in ways, both of us, that I'll never forget. And that I, I saw a glimpse of God that I had never seen before. But once we talked everything out, so, you know, maybe weeks, months later, our marriage was at least a thousand percent better. Wow. Communication. Um, just trusting, knowing that now we're honest. Now... We're not holding back. Like, because he confessed things to me too, which is his own story, but we both just felt this unbelievable freedom to, like, you are my person, the one person that knows everything about me. Like, I don't necessarily, now I'm free to talk about this. Now that I'm 53, I don't care how many people view this and hear my story and they know, oh my gosh, she was promiscuous and pallid. I, up till that point, I didn't feel like it was a public message, but I knew for certain that I needed Paul's forgiveness. that yeah. that was the one person, you know, I knew God had forgiven me, but I didn't know until 12 years into that marriage that I needed my husband's forgiveness too. Yeah. Like that was critical and it changed everything for our marriage.
0: Yeah. And I, as I hear that, I often um, parallel my relationship with God and it didn't become as incredibly real as it feels to me now at this point in my life, until I became a mom, until I was in a yeah. earthly relationship with somebody with whom I have this unconditional love and transparency. And do I get it right all the time? No. And are there hurt feelings? Yes. And did we have to learn, you know, to love one another at different phases of our lives? Yeah. I mean, that girl is everything yeah. to me, but it wasn't until I realized, man, she's driving me crazy and she's not listening to me and she's messing up and making decisions that I purposely told her, don't hear my rules and you're breaking the rules. And then she would come home and I would welcome her every single time. And so I just, right. that right. earthly relationship painted the picture of God for me. More so yes. than any church construct ever had.
1: Absolutely.
0: I heard you say that about Paul too, that you were like, I yeah. got a glimpse of God in, in mm-hmm. Paul's forgiveness to you. Mm-hmm. I needed that
1: profound forgiveness, like to just experience it. the hu- here on earth, <laughs> humanly but yet it was like a supernatural um taste of forgiveness
0: and don't you think that it's well i think we both know it's possible to be in a relationship with people in your case 12 years and have a level of often a level of authenticity but you always carry that thing that is sort of dividing you it's like the curtain between us and so it's the wall that goes up. But when the other person on the other side of that relationship doesn't know it even exists, if, then you start to feel another layer of guilt because you're like, yeah. I'm causing this. I'm carrying yeah. this. And it's what we do every day that we're in a relationship with God where we're not fully present with Him and confessing our sins.
1: Right, right. And we think that we can, you know, fool God too. Like, <laughs> I here's the real me, but I'm just going to show this part to God. He'll never know what's happening over there. (laughs) And you know it's, that's not how he works. And we, we know that cognitively, but we, we definitely live that way. Like we can protect parts of ourselves from God. And I, I totally was doing that really all my life up to that point. Um, keeping a big part of who I was hidden and it was so unhealthy.
0: Yeah. And I hear this story too. And one of my favorite old Testament characters is King David. Right. And he got to the point where he thought mm-hmm. like, I, I'm kind of cruising. And maybe at some point in your 12, that 12 year window of marriage, you were on cruise control, your autopilot, like taking care of kids and working and doing the house stuff. So you got into this regular routine and yet it was always kind of in the background, but it wasn't until you basically like King David, proverbially laid down in the streets in sackcloth. Right. And just confessed mm-hmm. and said like, I am sorry. Like your heart was poured out and you were genuinely saying to him, please forgive me of my sin. I have sinned against you. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what King David did with God. And so that then changes everything because you're now moving forward with such a lighter burden.
1: Right. Right. I mean, we both Paul and I were very involved in our local church and very much in leadership. He was on the elder board and I was serving and I was teaching Sunday school and our kids were very involved and I felt like we were examples. We were leadership examples at our church. And so when you're a leader you have to walk down the center aisle at church and so I every Sunday it was just this constant reminder of what a fake I was because I felt like I have committed the one sin that you know nobody should ever commit and and nobody knows this and I sat in church looking around at everybody else who looked so perfect and nobody in that particular environment nobody shared things like this. So I didn't know that any other woman had ever had sex before marriage. I thought I was the only one. I didn't know that any other teenagers, you know, did drink or or even have a bad thought or maybe had homosexual feelings or I had, I had no I, I thought I was the only sinner in this room of saints. And that was part of what just completely busted open when I confessed to Paul. We both talked about how we we bore so much responsibility to that church as leaders and felt so fake and so unable to actually carry that mantle of leadership. Um, and it it, it actually we ended up leaving the church, not because I mean it was a beautiful place of beautiful people, but it, it just would continually remind us of how much we were shrouded in our sin. And we needed to start new as a new couple in our marriage and just in a new environment. So we ended up leaving and a whole bunch of things happened rapidly in succession after that. But um, we definitely, it was a turning point in our marriage.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked to us a little bit about that. That's another good segue. I really am interested in people hearing um, your journey to minimalism and to say, we kind of gave up uh, those expectations. And, you know, the fact that you guys became closer through, the events you just talked about and sort of moving away from all of the false narratives, right? The wrong belief that you're the only sinner in the church. And then once you guys both got to that point of of authenticity and just you're real, you made some pretty big um, family choices, didn't you? What did that look like?
1: We did. I mean, it happened fast. I mean, I think God hit us fast and furious and we're not mad about it. I, like we had bookshelves of Christian books that both Paul and I had maybe read like the first five to 10 pages. And they're like, bah, stupid, eh, boring thing. And something happened in that season of forgiveness and repentance, where we would pull the same book that's been sitting out on our shelf. Um, one of them is experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And we read it cover to cover, marked it all up, bald as we read it. And we're like, he's speaking to us. And so all kinds of stuff like that, like really incredible supernatural things happened in rapid succession. So we decided God was speaking to us, but we didn't know what he was saying. So we started praying, we started praying together every night. And our our first specific prayer together was kind of a how now shall we live? What What are we doing that's inauthentic because we had felt, so unauthentic prior. And, and and how, how now do we move forward? And up to that point, business, he's an accountant, it was just doing really well. And we just had accumulated accumulate all kinds of money. And we had built our big, huge dream house, which was ridiculously more than we needed. And we had already bought a a, a cottage on a lake. And I mean, our kids just had way too, many, too much stuff. And we, we started asking God, how now shall we live? And the first thing that we felt was very convicted about spending more money on more things, even though we had a long list of, of more things that we thought we needed. You know, we certainly, we had to have a barn and we had to have, you know, X, X, X. but um, the next bonus check that he got, we adopted a child instead after just praying, how now shall we live?
0: Cottage on a lake or a barn or some more toys or a human being.
1: Right. Yeah. After that prayer, God led us to the be human being. <laughs> it, yes.
0: More love, more yes. love an outpouring yes. of love, as opposed to being attached to something of material, not yep. That's amazing. Yep.
1: And we did not ever think that we were materialistic. I mean, we, we were applauded in our church. It just, mm-hmm. it's just the natural progression of young couples that are both professionals and are doing well. You just buy a lot of things because you can, we weren't in debt. We were, we thought we were responsible with our money because we, we only bought what we could afford, but we didn't ever ask, what might God have given us this money for? We thought it was all ours. And so what's it for? It's for big houses and a pool. And we, you know, had a huge indoor home theater and that's ours. That's But as soon as we asked God, what might you have blessed us for? It. We weren't getting go build the barn. That was not the answer we were getting from God. So our daughter, our youngest is from Guatemala. So we, that was our first international travel was to go get her from Guatemala. And God did a work in Guatemala. We had our two oldest sons with us. So the four of us went to go get her. And it just stirred something in us that God is bigger than West Michigan. Yeah. And we were, We should have known that, but it blew us away to be in Guatemala and experience God there. And so then that turned into frequent return trips to Guatemala. We organized different small-term, short-term trips with like other families. We we kind of were really reaching out to people um, like us, trying to get mom and dad to travel with their kids, like instead of a traditional mission trip, it's just a service learning, I'm going to go with eyes wide open, how can we serve, what can we learn, mm-hmm. and to do it with your kids so that you're growing together instead of, you know, kids going off on a mission trip and parents doing their own thing.
0: Yeah, and I want to um, say something to uh, the the fact that you said earlier, and I don't know exactly how you Phrased it, but it was something along the lines of we we thought we were being responsible. We we didn't think you know we weren't in debt. So basically you didn't think you're doing anything wrong. Right. Because you were going about things in such a way that you saw other people at that season of your life, in that season of your life, all around you kind of doing the same thing. And so we get into sort of this. Trickery, if you will, of saying I'm comparing, but not really, because we're doing our thing over here. They're doing so, it must be okay. You're kind of justifying it. We all do that. Sure. But but what's interesting is that you don't know what you don't know, and so you know you didn't know what it was like to live on the west side of of Grand Rapids until you lived there. You didn't know what it was like in Guatemala until you went there. You didn't know what it was like to. You know, have an international adoption until you actually went through that experience and, and then can now speak about how it changed you. And so the one word of encouragement that I really want to share with our viewers and listeners is that we get so stuck in thinking that, man, we messed up and we, we got it all wrong. And it's often years later when we can look back in retrospect with those years of experience that we come to that conclusion, man, did I mess up back there. I don't think God holds us. One, we know he forgives East and West all the time, right? Like we ask for forgiveness. We mean it, we have it, it's over, it's done with. Right. But but the human side of us wants to self-condemn. The human side of us wants to look back at our 15, 18, 20 year old self and say, you should have known better. But what I'm here to just continually, you know, encourage people with is, no, you shouldn't have known better. You You didn't know better or else you would have done better.
1: Right, right. Don't know what you don't know.
0: Yeah. And it's so easy for us to just, um, instead of receiving that freeing forgiveness that God provides all the time, it's easier for us to maintain sort of like that martyrdom and that, well, I'm a terrible person. And therefore what happens is he can't use us, right? right? He can't use us to help other people. He can't use us for kingdom work because we're stuck. We're making the choice to say, well, I'm just a terrible sinner. Okay, find me one person on the planet who isn't a terrible sinner, you know, (laughs) in one capacity or another. But it's based on what they knew equaled the world's worst sin. You and I, Midwest girls, boy, it was sex in the 80s. That was the world's worst sin. Elsewhere, they may not have even given that a second thought.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it just teaches us to just continue asking that question. Like, you know, here I am, God. Show me like to ask, ask questions because we don't know what we don't know. So as long as we keep asking him, show me, yes. show me. And when you do that, he will. It's, oh. it, it's a little scary question to ask of God because I,
0: he might us in him. ways that we were like unprepared for, but the cool yeah. thing is he, yeah. he equips us too. So that's the faith part that comes in. And what's so interesting is like, we have to ask yourself, right? But then that curiosity, I don't know if it was your case and your experience growing up, I wasn't allowed to question. Right. Church. I wasn't allowed to say, God, like, are you, what does this mean? Because I, I should have just listened to the priest or I should have listened to the adult. I'm like, they're just people. i, right. I want to have a direct line to God because I'm pretty sure he's in charge.
1: Right. Right. No, I think that's true. We were just told this is the way it is. Yeah. It is And you don't question it. Yeah. This is the way life looks and you don't question it. This is how your this is the script for your life. You know, here in West Michigan, your script looks like this and it you know, looks a little different all throughout the world, but it's, it was so scripted for me. I didn't dare question it. Yeah. And when we started questioning it, like, okay, Lord, is this how we're supposed to live? And we just started asking that prayer every night. The answer was no, I've got some different things for you. And so it's we, exciting. It's, it's
0: so <laughs> exciting that you just believe that you you're free to ask those questions and that he will respond. Maybe, yeah. probably usually not in the way that you think he will, but the cool part is that the, just the whole premise and that possibility exists for a life yeah. is bigger than our minds can imagine.
1: For sure, That's for sure. And, and it's a better life, you know?
0: It's just are, better. Are you writing about all this, by the way? Are you writing a book? About yeah, your
1: yeah. Tell me about it. I write a book about it on my blog, um, which are just you know snippets of our story. Some of it happened in Morocco. Some of it happened you know, here in Michigan, Um, but I'm trying to compile it all into a book and we'll see what happens with it. But yes.
0: Well, we, we can't wait till that comes out. We can all read it. And I'll put where you guys can find Cindy in the show notes. And so um, just thank you for sharing your life with us. And before we go, I'm going to ask you the questions that I leave everybody with. Uh, All right. We've already tackled a few of them, but um, right out of the gate, how do you define God at this point on your journey? How do you define God?
1: Well, that is such a good question. And, and when I first read it, it, it stopped me almost in my tracks because I, I wanted to give you my good Sunday school answer. My old me, I, I can rattle off exactly what people, what I think nice. people want to hear and yeah. And I think what, what really resonated with me is I know God bigger. I just know the more obedient we've been, the bigger he gets. And so I know God bigger. It's not, it's not controlling, judgmental, um, rules and regulations like I grew up with. It's so much bigger, so all encompassing, so loving and, and so much bigger than what I thought. That it's so much more accepting, and and um, I I just feel um, so much closer to him, even though he's so much bigger.
0: Wow, wow. Well, that is a beautiful answer to say bigger because you know we were conditioned to think that we were so small. Yeah. And but we, I think, didn't have the agency or the the wherewithal to Be able to say that we're small because he's so big. We just felt small. We felt lesser than. We felt right. started and and terrible sinner and and just never gonna measure up. Mm-hmm. But when you become in relationships so tightly interwoven, you you feel that bigger love. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Bigger love. Yeah. that should be the title of your book.
1: <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> I'll have to hang out to that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, blah, blah, blah. yeah, He's okay with that. Um, and we talked about two and three already, because my second question always is, what's the most difficult decision you've had to make on your journey? And, and you shared with us that that was basically telling Paul what you had kept inside for 12 years. And so, you know, you you chose to just basically have such an unwavering level of faith that it would be okay on the other side of that disclosure. And it obviously has been. How long have you guys been married now?
1: 35 years.
0: Ooh, that is amazing. That's awesome. grandbaby
1: number one on the way.
0: Wow. That is so exciting. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talked to the The third question is that remorseless means without guilt in spite of wrongdoing. And so what were you conditioned to think? And we talked about that, too. It's we share that same experience. And we were conditioned mm-hmm. to think um, that premarital sex equaled you're, you're done like there's no relationship with God available to you. There's no good marriage that awaits you. There's no man that wants you. There's no relationship that you're going to be really, because you kind of ruined it.
1: Right, right.
0: And I just think that is a terrible way to right. to stop somebody in this beautiful life ahead of them that awaits. It's exactly. One of the most mistaught, I think. we, Yeah, we can go to scripture. We know what it says in there. Mm-hmm. But when people really just throw that in, a 15-year-old's face who doesn't know what they're doing anyway. My right. goodness, the long-term implications that has. So kind of shame on us for putting shame on yeah. Them.
1: yeah, yeah. I always described it as feeling like I had the scarlet letter or, you know, the Jewish star. Oh, yeah. Some, somehow it felt like people must be able to identify what a terrible sinner I am. Yeah. And it, no one ever explained that, you don't have to carry that weight. Like once you're forgiven, you don't have to carry it. There is no, there's no branding. There's no thing that you have to identify. It doesn't identify you. It is not your identity.
0: No, no we, we keep trying for years and years and years to cover up the shame, to cover up the sin. To, and then what we end up doing is becoming, um, unrecognizable to ourselves uh-huh. it's to be in relationship with our creator because we know he made us but we're not being the way he made us so it just,
1: just up. how could he be with me right
0: yeah so so it kind of gets to a point where you're either like good with the people with our fellow humans or you're good with god and we don't know how to do both until we just come clean right with everybody and and right. show up as he made us to be so last question the one authentic word that you would use to describe yourself today
1: Uh, I said transparency. Yes, And I think, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes something that's really good can also be bad. Like some, sometimes people's best quality is also their worst quality. Of course, transparency seems like it would be a good thing and that we should all be more transparent, but I tend to be transparent to a fault and it has gotten me in trouble, but I'm not ashamed of it because I don't, I don't know that I've ever helped somebody by withholding, you know, wisdom or good information or lessons that I've learned. Uh I mean, there's times where we're not supposed to talk, that's for sure. But in terms of helping other people, I don't know that I've ever helped someone by withholding something that I had already learned. So I just decided the older I got, I'm just going to speak out and I have... I've I've learned some pretty um, tough skin, or I've grown tough skin, just because you have to. You're going to get pushback, and I think that's why sometimes it's so hard to become authentic, because it's not always going to be welcome.
0: That's but, right. That's right. You're afraid that people are going to see the transparency come through and not like what they see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is vulnerable. Yeah, and that's the most amazing thing that we can do—the most amazing gift. Because you're right, we can't help others. I often tell people the scars that we carry, the scars that we've accumulated, the missteps that we've made, the way to actually heal from that is to impart that wisdom with others who are coming up behind us because we've gotten far enough away that we understand that we're totally forgiven and we want to encourage them. Hey, you're okay. I'm okay. I've been through it. That's what God wants us to do with it. It's not a shameful conversation. It's a helpful conversation.
1: And it's scriptural. I mean, the Bible tells us to do this. I I don't know why... It was such a scary thing for so long, but it's, it's so important. So I'm pretty transparent.
0: Well, we're very glad you are. And we're very glad that you joined us today. So Cindy DeBoer, thank you for being here and thank to my, yeah, of course. Of course. I loved every minute of it. And you guys, for the viewers out there, thanks again for tuning into the biblical. We will see you next week. Okay. Peace to you all. Bye. Thanks for listening guys. I hope that provided some insight for you in terms of the things that I think are pretty universal, right? Like there aren't many people that I know, especially women at this point in my life, who have not gone through similar experiences, but like you heard Cindy talk about, it wasn't talked about in the church. We all sat in church thinking that we were the only, no good, terrible sinner loser who had premarital sex, and we weren't. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying that, hey, those are great decisions to make, But what I am saying is that my 15 year old brain or however old I was didn't know what decisions to make because nobody was telling me that I was worth anything. Nobody was telling me, Hey, God loves you and you're worth more than these decisions. So let me show up alongside you on your journey and care about you and pour into you and tell you that there's more to life than, you know, having sex with your small town boyfriend. So, um, under the heading again of be who you were created to be, you guys make decisions based on the fact that you know God made you with love and value and mattering and that you have all those things no matter what you've done. So I just encourage you to continue to let go of the guilt, forget the things in the past that you've done, continue to show up every day as the person that you know you are and do for the greater good, right? Don't be a selfish individual. Okay. So if you want to know more about how I can maybe help you, you can go to bethfisher.com. You can check out my books there. The remorseless book is there. The actionable workbook is there as well, uh, along with some information on coaching, because I do in fact provide personal professional development coaching in a lot of different areas. So thank you for joining us and we will talk to you and see you for those of you who are following on video next week. Peace.